0: We've been in a series on the general epistle, written by Peter for the entire church, and also this weekend we've been looking at the book of James. Our students have been looking at another general epistle. The only other general epistles are 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, so maybe we should cover those as well this weekend. But these general epistles were meant for the entire church and lessons to be learned from them. We only have a few moments today, but we'll look here in in the book of James. Now, as I was thinking about how to introduce this particular message today, I remember the story that I I heard about a man who did not really want to go to church one day. And he was obstinate um, about not going. And so he locked himself up in his room. And his wife began to gently try to reason with him about why he should go to church that day. She said, honey, you really need to go to church. He says, "I, I don't want to go to church. No, 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 no. You need to go to church. And I have three reasons why you should go. Number one, you know you should go, honey. You know you should go. That didn't seem to convince him. Number two, you'll feel better if you do go. Still was not impressed. Number three, you're the pastor of the church. Now be honest with me today, have you ever felt like that poor pastor? (laughs) By the way, this is not my wife. Uh, um, I am very glad to be here, I was looking forward to being here today. But have you ever felt ambivalent about church? Have you ever felt, or have you ever heard people say, I like Jesus, but I, I don't like church that much? I'm interested in God, but I don't want to go to church. And many times that, that's asking for a, a conversation, right? And that's uh, really the introduction of our text today. Um, because, you know, in Peter's day, there were many reasons that people could have given not to go to church. Let's pray before we look at it. Father in heaven, Lord, bless us as we look at this important subject of Christ and his church. We've just had a prayer laying aside someone to work in that church. And we're here gathered as a church. So bless us as we consider this in Christ's name. Amen. So in in Peter's day, there were many reasons maybe not to want to go to church, like Noah mentioned in the children's story. The church people were known as strangers or pilgrims. They were grieved by various trials. They were tested by fire and they were rejected by men. And the Gentiles were always speaking and it wasn't positively about them. Every time the news came on, it was negative. They were enduring grief. They were suffering wrongfully. They were doing good and still suffering for it. They were being threatened. And they were being defamed. And anything that they did, even that was positive, was seen as negative. And they were suffering as Christians. And so if anybody would be tempted not to go to church, it would be people in Peter's day. And if anyone would be tempted not to confess Christ, it would be people in Peter's day. In fact, some scholars have said that our day is becoming more and more like Peter's day where Christianity is no longer the ascendant dominating force in culture. And things that are being said about Christians and Christianity that sometimes are a little hard to hear. One author of that time said, Christians are no different from the rest of their nationality, language, or customs. They live in their own countries, but are sojourners. They fulfill all their duties as citizens, but they suffer as foreigners. They find their homeland wherever they are, but their homeland is not in any one place. They are in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey all the laws, but they obey at a higher level, and so they're ridiculed. Everything they do that might be right is seen as wrong. And these people, could they have been tempted to say, I don't really want to go to church that day? Could they have been like that pastor <laughs> who said, what's the use? I don't want to go to church. Could they be tempted to disavow their belief in Christ? And that's why Peter is saying what he's saying in our text today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We can learn several things from this lesson. Number one, we need to remember who we are as people. Who are we as a person? What is our identity? The text gave us several things to consider. Number one, we are a what? Chosen race. A chosen generation, it says, but the word there is genos, which means race. We are a chosen race. We are, uh, we've been born again, we've learned in Peter. And by the way, First Peter really was a, a manual for newly baptized people. They had been born again. They had been studying the word of God. They had a living hope. They had rested their hope fully in the grace of God. They were hoping in God based on the eternal word of God that does not wither. And they had been born again. They were God's possession and they were called. No matter how they felt, no matter what happened in their midbrain, they knew with their frontal lobes that God had called them. How many think it's important to know who you are, especially today as a person? Um, Peter was saying to the pilgrims who were tried and tested and suffering by fire, people have been tempted not to go to church. Remember something. You have been chosen by God, you're elected by God, you're God's possession, you've been born again, you're a brand plucked from the burning. Now, one of my favorite stories, of course, is the story of Peter. Peter was a fisherman, and uh, that was his identity. If you go to Capernaum, you can see his house, even today, where they think it was, it's a large house. He was a a successful fisherman right next to the synagogue there. But when Jesus was dealing with Peter, he realized Peter had some identity issues. And it's interesting to me to notice that um, the devil tries to raise questions about identity um, today and he also did back then. And right after Jesus had gone through his own identity crisis or attack on his identity, he began to talk to Peter. Remember how Satan had come to him and said, if you are the son of God, if you are this, questioned his identity. And Jesus had got through that by saying, look, I I rest my identity on the word of God. I'm not listening to you. I rest my identity on the word of God. And immediately after he did that, he came and began to call the disciples. And the first one he called was Peter. And he wanted to help Peter grow in his identity And know who he was. And uh, so guess what he did? He said, look, you're a fisherman. You like fishing here in the Sea of Galilee. We'll take you to the headwaters where the water comes from. You might be interested. And so he took him up to Caesarea Philippi, where we had mentioned last week, where all of these temples were, all these temples to the various gods, And right below that, you can see where those temples are there, but you see the tree line there, right below it was actually a water source. And there were huge headwaters right below Mount Hermon there. And if you want to go with us this spring, we'll be going back there, uh, Dr. Z and myself. Anyway, there was where the Jordan River has its genesis, where it begins. And the word Jordan actually is interesting, it's Dan and Jor, Jor Jor-Dan, the river from Dan. And Dan is right there, and there are four different um, tributaries, you might say, or sources that come out from the base of Mount Hermon, and then they come down, and finally they form the Jordan River. And so Jesus took Peter up there to the headwaters as if to say, look, <laughs> you know what? I want to take you to the source of all the water you fish in. And then he had a conversation. He came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? It was a question of what? Identity. big thing in Jesus' day was people were having a crisis of identity, and identity theft was happening. And people were trying to steal away people from their identity. So Jesus brings this subject up. Who do you say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Johnson, son of Jonah, son of of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So he takes him to the headwaters because he wants them to understand something about not only his identity, but their own identity. And what's interesting in this story is That when Jesus, or when Peter recognizes who Jesus is, Jesus says, wait a minute. This doesn't come from flesh and blood. You can't really understand who I am without divine inspiration. And God is working in your life. You're coming to know who I am as the Christ the Christ means I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who is fulfilling all the prophecies. It was, it was almost a statement like we heard from Pam, where she said, Daniel, when I studied Daniel, it, it kind of blew me away. And what Jesus was saying, you know what? You're saying that I'm the Christ. That means you've been studying the book of Daniel. You're saying I'm the Son of God, the Son of Man. That's from the book of Daniel. You're understanding that. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but through the study of my word, you're you're putting it together, and you understand that I'm the Christ. Nothing makes a minister happier than that to see that someone's coming to know Jesus. Whoa! This person has come to know Christ in a deeper way. And Jesus says, Whoa! Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. God is working in your life, Peter. But notice something else. Peter did not only see who Christ was. Notice what happens next. What happens when we correctly identify who Christ is? Jesus continued, And I say to you that you are Petros. You are Peter. And on this Petra I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we discover who Jesus is as a person, we are led really to discover who we are as a person as well. When you discover who Jesus is, you're going to discover finally who you are. If you don't know Jesus, you really don't know who you are. And Peter discovered who Jesus was, and then Jesus immediately says, "Wait a minute. <laughs> you're right. I'm the Christ. I'm the Son of the living God, but you are you're not Simon Johnson. Your identity's a little confused. You're Petros, you're little rock, and I'm the rock. You know how you studied in Daniel, Peter? You studied about the Christ, about the Messiah. You studied those prophecies, and in Daniel chapter 2, you saw all those kingdoms, and they came down, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, but finally there was, there was a rock, there was a rock that was cut out without hands and it struck the base and it, and, it, and it became the ultimate kingdom. I'm that king. You're my domain. You're understanding. You're the little rock. I am the rock. And when you discover who I am, you'll discover who you are. How many think today people need to discover who they are? How many think today there's a crisis of identity in our nation? How many think people are confused about how to identify? They identify with certain aspects of their creation instead of the creator. What happens when we correctly identify with Christ? We understand not only who he is, we understand who we are. And then we discover, like we saw in our text, and this is what Peter was trying to say in the midst of this confused culture he lived in. You are, (laughs) you're not only a person, you're a part of something bigger. Notice how Jesus said it. I say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, my life, I will build my church. In other words, you not only discover who Jesus is, you not only discover who you are, but you understand where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be a part of the church. And people say, I I, want to just follow Jesus, but I'm not that interested in the church. No, 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 no. If you're interested in Jesus you're going to be interested in the church. If you accept Christ, you're going to want to be accepted into a church that teaches and preaches Christ. Can you say amen? That's the picture. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're the people of God. Our scripture reading today by Lynn from Exodus 19, what was Peter saying? Peter's the Jew. He's talking to those that are spread throughout Cappadocia and, and Pontus and Asia and Galatia. And these were not Jews, although there were probably Jews there. These were Gentiles. We already established that in a previous sermon. But he's saying to these Gentiles, You are actually a chosen people. I'm using the words of Judaism, and I'm applying them to you. You are grafted in. You are a part of that holy nation, that royal priesthood. You're not just a nobody, even though you feel like a stranger, even though you feel like a pilgrim, even though you feel like you're persecuted, even though you feel like you're separated, you're not. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You have a purpose. I have a plan. Can you say amen? You are the church, the ekkaleo. Kaleo means to call. Ek means out. You are the called out. You have been called out, and you're to join me in calling others out that we can expand the church. Because the church is where we find our identity, it's where we find our purpose, it's where we find God's plan. That's why we have a church here, amen? You're a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we discover who we are as people. We discover who he is first, but then we discover who we are, our true identity. We discover what we're to be a part of, the body of Christ, the church. And we discover what we're called to do. What are we called to do? To proclaim the excellencies of God. Isn't God excellent? Has he done great things in your life? Does he love you? Has he shown his mercy to you? Has he called you out of darkness into light? I remember when we first started our mission to the city's work here a number of years ago, and we joined with um, the union and went to San Francisco and Oakland. How many of you remember that? Anybody here when we went to San Francisco and Oakland? All right. Maybe like two people, so this is good. The rest of you, this is new. (laughs) We went over to this... City, they didn't want us to come. Um, it, it ended up later, I found out that a lot of the leadership in San Francisco and Oakland, not a lot, but a number of them are former Seventh-day Adventists. And uh, I didn't know that until I got there, and some of them were people I'd gone to school with. And these are people high up. And they said, you know, I, we know that you're Seventh-day Adventists, and we know you stand for certain things that we don't stand for. So they almost canceled us before we got there. And I told the people that when we got there, I said, you know, uh, we're not going there to make statements or judgments against people. Uh, that's not our purpose. We're going there to serve people and they have great needs. So let's zip the lip and, uh, about any of our potential agenda and let's just serve and only respond, okay? We're not gonna talk we're going to respond to whatever they say. So we went there. And I remember we drove up there. <laughs> and I knew it was going to be kind of bad, because we went to the armory. And I went to the wrong side of the armory. This is the building we're going to meet in. And I walked in, and I realized I'm in the wrong place, because it was a, it was a pornographic studio. Oh, no. They had all these pictures on the wall that made me feel uncomfortable and a lady said to me, are you the talent for today? <laughs> and my students who were with me looked at me like aghast, and I said, I said no, I'm, I'm definitely not that talented and I don't wanna be. I said, let me tell you what we're looking for. We're, she goes, you're on the wrong side of the building. I said, yes, we are. And we walked out, and we walked around the other side of the building, as we're walking the other side of the building, This man comes up to me and he points at me and goes, You, you, why are you here? This is a place of darkness. People get hurt here. This is dark, dark, dark. Why do you have these kids with you? This is a very bad place, a place of darkness. I kind of agreed. (laughs) After what he goes, and I said, he, He goes, Did you organize this? I said, Look, I don't organize anything. I mean, I'm. You know, I have, you know, occasionally my wife listens to me, sometimes my pet gerbil, but nobody else. So, you know, any influence I have is accidental. And he goes, I know that's not true. And I said, well, you know. So we went around there. And pretty soon, with people being in the people in to line up. You remember this, Dr. Harris? We didn't know if anybody was going to come. 1,000 people line up, 2,000 people line up, 3,000 people line up. They're all around the armory. They want to have medical care. They want to have dental care. They want to have eye care, and they're all lined up. And pretty soon, some people that didn't, said they weren't going to show up because they thought it was radical, they started coming in on planes. They flew in. They wanted to be a part of it. They were like, wow, it's amazing. And we began ministering to all these people. It was something else, really. Um, so, man, I, I couldn't take it. I was like, how are we going to, we got to say something. we got to share the gospel in some more over, overt way, right? So I said, I said to my, my team, and I said, look, at 12 o'clock tomorrow, we're just going to all start singing Amazing Grace. Why don't we just start singing Amazing Grace? They said, no, that's too radical. I said, well, let's just hum it then. We'll start out humming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 12 o'clock comes around, and we start humming. Mm -hmm. I couldn't help it. Amazing grace. And this person I'm taking care of right there in the booth goes, Who are you? I said, "Who, Who do you think we are? You're Christians. I said, Yep, we are. Just when I said that, that guy, remember the guy who said this is a place of darkness? He comes right up. He's right there. And he walks over and he goes, hey, it's you. I told you. (laughs) He goes, but you know what? None of you have gotten hurt. I live here. People always get hurt here. None of you have gotten hurt. You know, this is a place of darkness. It is a place of darkness. But you guys have turned it into a place of light. This is a place of darkness, but you turned it into a place of light. Isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't that what the church is called to do? I felt impressed at that time. Sometimes my impressions are good. I felt impressed. I don't know why. I do know why. I actually do know why. You know, in my life, I was lost. I was on the road to hell. I was, di- was going to die. And a phone call turned my life around. I was called out of darkness into light. And it was because a lady said to me in a hospital, she said to me, is your dad a minister? And it started a conversation that changed my life because I was running from all that. And I remembered that right at that moment. And I felt impressed to say to that man, I said to the man, who had just said to me, you turned this place into a place of life. I said to him, I have an idea that I want to ask you about. He goes, what is that? I said, is your dad a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And he goes, how in the world would you think that? I said, just just wondering. He goes, how do you know that? His dad was, in fact, a minister. I said, I don't know. I said, I know my dad was a minister, and I was running away from God. And I just had a hunch that maybe, because you're so verbal about getting us out of here when we got here, then maybe you're under conviction. And he just looked at me. And then I felt impressed. I said, you know, I think you should be about your father's business. The man started to weep and he said, I want to be about my father's business. Can I go with you guys? Are you going to another city? Do you do this in other towns? I've never felt better. I just I came here. I've gone through the line 6 times. I've just gotten different services. I got a haircut. I got a new suit. I got my nails done. I I, I had them take my blood pressure. I had them take lab tests three times. I just wanted to be touched by your people. And that's what it means. We proclaim the excellencies of God. We share how he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we do that in a way that other people say, I want to do that too. Talk about a confused city when it comes to identity. Talk about a confused group of people that God loves and would have come for any one of them. I'm always reading books and I wanna close with this. Strange New World, how thinkers, activists, redefined identity and sparked the sexual revolution. It's a book, it's a shorter book of another book that was longer and they truncated it but the whole idea is how we're in an identity crisis and how we got there, and it traces all the roots philosophically in all different ways. It's kind of like my kind of book because I like reading all that stuff. And it basically shows how we got into great darkness and great confusion. But then it said something that I want to end with before we close and go add some members to the church, amen? It ask the question how is it that we can change people or help people with their identities identity is shaped by the communities to which we belong the author says the strongest identities i have for me and my strongest intuitions derive from the strongest communities to which i believe i belong and that means The church needs to be the strongest community to which I belong. How many believe that's true? The church needs to be the strongest community to which I belong. If I move to a new town, if I go to a place, I'm looking for a church. I don't look for a church that's not engaged in the community. I don't look for a place where I just can sit there. No, I want to be a place where I can share. I can call people from darkness into his marvelous light. I don't want to just stay at headquarters. I want to go to Dutch Flat. I want to go to wherever it is. I want to go into the hood, the neighborhood. I want to go where there's darkness and shed some light. Amen? Now notice what it says. And we'll close with this. A large part of the church's witness to the world is simply being the church in worship. It's being the church in what? Paul himself comments that when an unbeliever accidentally turns up at church service, he should be struck by the otherworldly holiness of what's going on. And then he says something I think is so, and by the way, do you think there was other world holiness today? In the music, and in last night, and what's going on. And what he's saying is, the best way to impact the culture is not just to harangue the culture, but actually worship in the midst of the culture, and invite people to worship, and make your work worship. Amen? And notice how it ends. The most powerful witness to the gospel is the church herself. Simply going about the business of worship. How many think it would be a good idea to put little churches, little branches into every neighborhood? How many think it would be good to go out for total community involvement and not just go out and try and get back, but stay there, eat there, have a worship service there, not only minister to people's physical needs, but say, hey, come on over. Let's have you come and we'll study the Bible together. We'll sing together. Amen? Amen. Wow. In this way, we can engage the culture. Many Christians talk of engaging the culture. In fact, the culture is most dramatically engaged by the church when the church presents it with another culture. Another form of community rooted in her liturgical worship practices and manifest in the loving community that exists both in and beyond the worship service. How powerful that is! You think, oh, Sabbath school's boring. Huh. <laughs> I'm telling you what, it's the best thing you ever experienced if you're lost. And everything becomes just dramatically improved once you invite a friend to Sabbath school with you and you see their lives wonderfully changed. I would be dead without the church. How many can you raise your hand and say, You would be dead without the gospel, without the church? You would not be alive. And how many think somebody needs to know about that? I don't know, my church back in. In Kansas, I, and I see some of my members here, <laughs> Dr. Sparks, Dr. Bryant. Uh, man, I just wanted to get people to my church. If I could just dip them in the church a little bit. If they could meet the greeters at the church. They didn't have a chance. <laughs> if they could have the food of the church, not a chance. If they just could meet the people, their lives would be changed. Just get them to the church. I'd do anything to get them in the church. We had fruit programs. Just have them come and buy fruit. We had a co-op. Remember this? There was always something. Get them in the church. There's a garden outside. There's a track. There's always just Get them in the church. That's what we're going to do today, right after we sing this song. How many think it'd be good to join a couple people to the church? And so let's sing our song, and then we'll go down to Moses Rock. Praise Him. Praise Him. Tell of His excellent goodness. Let's stand together as we close our service. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.